0: intimate you know when you miss a meeting you get assigned the word intimate to describe a church (laughs) Um, and that's a true story somewhat but I'm excited and I thank you for the time that you're gonna allow us to come up and speak each week here for the next few weeks about things we think is important for the uh, for the for our church I got to thinking about that this week, and we were thinking about intimate. And Wednesday or Thursday night, I'm sitting at home, and I look at my email, and I get this thing from Twitter that says something about a, somebody following me on Twitter. I didn't realize I had a Twitter account. <laughs> I'd done that a few years ago, and then so I think, man, I've got to delete that. There's no telling what's on there. I find out I have like 300 followers, and I've never tweeted. I think that 's the correct word, anything. I guess those are my intimate friends. I want to um, I got to thinking about that and and uh, Barry Owen did a great job last week uh, talking about challenging us to be friendly and i don 't think we can get to this next part of having intimate relationships with each other without starting off there. What does it mean? What does it mean to to uh, be intimate here at church means you participate that you're actively participatory in what's going on here it means that you share, you have somebody to talk to that you're generous, that you give to other people that you have relationships, that you build relationships with others that you encourage, that you become like Barnabas and I think about Barnabas a lot when we talk about being encouraging because we talk about being an encouragement to other a whole lot at church and in Acts Eleven, twenty-three, 23, and 24 says, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord that day. So be a Barnabas, be an encourager. Also think we ought to have fun. I mean, I think that is an important part of what we do. And to become intimate with each other, it's great to be able to call one of your Christian brothers and laugh about something funny that's happened. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, So I commend you, or commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toll all the days of the the life God has given them under the sun. We need to have fun. Guys, it is... This is a hard life sometimes, and if you can't laugh a little bit, always joke around at work about some days when things are going bad and you're kind of, kind of, things, you know, just kind of don't feel good. And and we get together, our leadership team, and somebody says something funny or tells a funny thing that happened. I think, man, what a blessing it is just to be able to laugh at at sometimes. The other part that I think is important is community, that we have a common purpose. It's right back there making disciples for Jesus who are eager to serve others. That should be part of our community. That's our common purpose. I think about um, things that are kind of symbolic of intimacy, and you, you watch in these close relationships and bonds. Who does that better than anybody else? Sports teams. They work extremely hard. It's showing uh, that they're really close. I know our football team walks out. You guys have been to a Greenwood football game or happened to see them play. They walk out. The kids are all locking arms when they walk out together. We've had their parents with them doing that. Some of y'all have been involved in that, where they walked out. That's showing that they have an intimate relationship and that they're close. They go on retreats. They go to camps. They have their slogan, whatever it is, for that season, something that's meaningful to them, and they have goals. And their list goes on and on. And also think about coaches who have somehow fallen into success. What's the first thing they do? They write a book, tell you how to be successful to make money. Um, So... Those things, I mean, they, they, they strive because you see teams that have a lot of good people in it or good team, good players, but sometimes they're not successful. And then somebody will come in who knows how to build intimacy and relationships with that group. All of a sudden they turn things around. They become successful. We have a successful group and it's the ultimate small group in my opinion, and that's Jesus Christ and his relationship with his disciples. He took 12 just ordinary, common folks, pulled them together, created a synergy, the ability to be greater than the sum of their parts, to carry his name throughout the world, which continues today. I think about the times where they were alone, what carried them through the trials that they went through? Their intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Do we have concerns sometimes about things at church? Sure. When you have 20% in the survey say they don't think they have a friend at church, that's a problem. That is an absolute problem. We need to fix that. You've got to have six or seven close friends, what the data says, to be successful at church. I'm thinking of some personal examples here, and, and just uh, if you'll allow me for for kind of going through some things that mean a lot to me that this church has done and and. And has uh, done for my wife and I over the years that I think intimate stuff. Uh, one of the best things has happened. Um, Rick Odell talked to me about starting a 20 something class. Well, I'm not 20 something anymore. And um, I said, he said, you'll just be the resident old guy. I said, okay, that's good. What do we need to do? Really nothing. Just go to the class and sit in there and have somebody that's consistently there. Well, I've watched that class grow. We started out four or five people. We have 20 to 25 some Sundays now. But you know what they've done? They've started meeting outside of church together. They've started their own small group, their own meetings. They do it on their own. Did they ask me for permission? No. Did they ask anybody else for permission? No. But they're doing it. And I've watched them grow, and that's been a tremendous blessing uh, to me. Now i we'll to talk about some things in the past, and we used to have care groups, and some of you guys I think have still continued a meeting out of some of those old care groups that were around years and years ago. Um, Christy and I, when we were first married, we got a chance to be, I don't know how we got invited, I guess Dan and Janet Kathy invited us because they're my father-in-law and mother-in-law, and said, Hey, why don't y'all come to our care group? Well, man, those guys were old. Jag and <laughs> Meg and Jerry were there. Man. Of course, I think I'm older than they are right now but during that time. That's been that long ago. Um, I had a guy tell me the other day, he goes, you know how to tell when somebody's old? I said, how's that? And he goes, they're 15 years older than you are. So anyway, I don't think it was intentional at all that we were there, but I do think they gave us such a Christian example of what we should be as a married couple. And I watched them and their relationships, and they included us just like we were one of them. And and that was a tremendous blessing for Christy and I as we first started out. The other thing's kind of a little more traumatic of a story anyway. Our son, Hunter, uh, he had pneumonia really bad, a really, really bad case of pneumonia, and... um, I'll never forget it. Christy and I were, you know, she was spending time at the hospital with him and I was going to work. And she called me one day and said, Kevin, we need to take, you know, we need to take Hunter to Little Rock. They want him to go to Little Rock. And I said, okay, all right, well, when are we going to go? And uh, she said, well, they're taking him. They're having the helicopters on its way and, you know, things have kind of turned, went south and we really, you know, you need to get around. So I go up and take care of the girls find a place for them to stay with some friends of ours and I grabbed Christie some clothes and we throw it in there and I remember kind of the surreal thing of pulling coming down 540 from Greenwood and seeing the helicopter coming in as I was coming in and I parked out by the helicopter and I walked in with the medics and and they talked about his situation being a little more grave than I even you know than I understood um, but they put him on there and they had Finding Nemo on the plane here on the helicopter he was happy when he left Christy and I weren't so comfortable, obviously, and we get in the car and we take off and we're worried about our son being two hours, you know, two and a half hours driving away without anybody there with him. We walk in the room. I'll never forget, we get there, we walk in the hospital room and there's a gentleman sitting next to him in a chair. And he gets up and, you know, I'm thinking, who's this guy? What's he doing here? And he gets up, he walks over and he introduces himself as doctor. I can't even remember his name now, but he was a pediatrician. And through a friend of Chris Benjamin's, I believe at the Chennault Church, he called somebody there. That guy picked the phone up and called this guy. And this guy canceled his appointments in the afternoon because he knew there was a little boy that was away from his parents who needed somebody to sit with him. That's an intimate relationship with your church when that happens. We also had um, a place to stay. Uh, Brad Pistole and Joel and, and, um, they, they've made some phone calls to the, I believe it's Pleasant Valley Church there in, uh, Little Rock and they arranged for us a place to stay. We had meals from other churches delivered to that apartment where they had us put up while we waited, you know, stuck around for a hundred and through the grace of God, he's doing great. Um, And those are just some personal things I think about when I think about intimacy and the relationship here in this church and how people step up and help you, and you don't have that. I always think about how do people make it, and I'd walk around that hospital and think, how do people do this without the support that we have through this congregation? So how do we create an intimate relationship, which is a little bit problematic. When I look at the number of folks here, it's hard to be close to this. I mean, this real tight bond that we're talking about with this many people. We have small groups, life groups, care groups. You get active in some kind of outside ministry, uh, go on mission trips. I think about our mission trips to Honduras and, and uh, the first one we went on, Greg Noll and Shane and uh, Boxnick and Josh Bice, we all shared this little smelly room together, and we smelled pretty bad while we were there too working. But uh, we built some pretty, pretty close relationships. I think I could call those guys anytime and ask them anything I needed, and they'd help me. You also build, even though some of the people that were on the trip outside of that, I got to know better. I got to know some of our youth group a lot better during that time. Um, and then it can be just as simple as calling somebody and breaking bread together, having a meal together. What does it take to do that? Just some initiative to do it. You don't have to ask for permission. Just do it. You just get together with the small group, form it yourself. The one way to guarantee it doesn't work is for us to micromanage it. The other thing we'd like is shepherds of West Ark Church of Christ, if you go out there and you start wanting to have a small group, we would love to be invited, just to be an encouragement. Not to micromanage what you're doing, but just to, to be an encouragement to you. If you, any way that we can help, uh, help you get one started, don't hesitate to ask one, uh, you know, one of the elders or one of the ministers here, they can get you started. So the challenge is for us is to get closer and build relationships. And we had that perfect example with Jesus. And his disciples, and hopefully we have that relationship with Jesus ourselves. So just as we move forward through this time of remodeling, let's think about that closeness that we need to have and if you like i said if there's something like that you want to do and we can help you do it we want to if you don't need our help i understand but we want you guys to grow closer that is very important very very important thing i want to thank those folks that i talked about today because they're they are meaningful in my life would you pray with me Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us, and we thank you for your son Jesus. We're thankful for the, the uh, relationship uh, and relationships that he modeled with everybody that he came in contact with that gives us this display of what an intimate relationship should look like. Lord, we are thankful for this congregation of believers in this group that meets here every Sunday morning. We, we love each person here. We care about them. Lord, we just pray that you bless each person here today. Bless the groups that meet outside of this congregation, and we pray that you build them closer and help them grow closer as as friends and as a church family. Lord, we just pray that as we move forward, that we do things that would be pleasing to you. And we know that uh, having cr- close relationships with others has is, is been modeled and is something that you would want us to do. Lord, we pray that we do these things in a manner that would please you. And we thank you for your son Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Kevin. And uh, I want to commend all of you. You have very intelligent children and grandchildren. I, um, I started out today by going over to the Bridge 56 class, and I asked them a question. I asked, what can you tell me about Abraham Lincoln? And each one of them could tell me some different fact about Abraham Lincoln. And they didn't even have to say that he's the man on the penny or the man on the $5 bill. They all knew something about it. And I bet you know a lot of things about Abraham Lincoln, too. Now, it'd be a very different question if I asked some of you, do you know Abraham Lincoln? Kevin said that some of you are old, but none of you are that old. I wouldn't expect you to know who this man is. This is my great-great-grandfather, Marion Columbus Bailey. And I know a lot about Marion Columbus Bailey, I know that he trained horses since he was uh, eight years old. I know that he was born when Abraham Lincoln was president. I know that uh, he was a horse jockey and he won a few races. I know that he had a very rusty revolver that wouldn't revolve very well after he fired it. And I know because of that, he could have gotten shot down one day by Frank and Jesse James. And I wouldn't be speaking to you here today if he had. I know that Marion Columbus Bailey stood up for what was right. And when he was at a community picnic, there was this this horrible drunk who was teasing children. And Marion Columbus, not very old himself, stood up to the man. I know a lot about Marion Columbus Bailey, but I do not know him. Everything I know about him comes from those who did know him. And it's the stories of those people that I know that have told me something about him. The point that I want you to see is there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. And that difference between knowing about and knowing can be described with intimacy. That being intimate with someone is to know something. It's not just to know something about them, but to know them. And this is a word that may need a little bit of rehabilitation. Fact is, this this word used to be used as a euphemism for a sexual relationship. And now that's about all the word means anymore. But that's not how the word was originally intended to be used. It has to do with that close relationship. Personal relationship about knowing someone, a familiarity with them, knowing who they are deep inside, so that even if you know certain things or if you heard certain things about someone, you could say, I know that's not true, or I do know that's true. How do you know? Because I know that person. God wants us to know Him in an intimate way, because he chooses to know us in such a way. And the thing that I want you to know about God is that God wants you to know him. Just as there's a difference in knowing about someone and actually knowing them, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. We can know a lot of things about God. We can know a lot of things about Christ. But until we take it to that level where we know Christ, we haven't experienced all that there is. God is so, he is so about relationships that there's so much about God. I just want to illustrate three things. And again, there would be There can be entire series on this. There can be classes on this. There are books written about this. But you have to move this into something that has to do with your life. Discovering that God is relational. Just look at the Trinity. God is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. And throughout the centuries, people have tried to understand how those three can be one. The closest we can come to it is to understand the deepness of intimate relationships. That even if there are three different personalities there, there is a oneness. Because God within himself, he relates to himself. There is a relationship built into the very core of who God is. At creation, God does not just create a world, wind it up and let it go. What he does is he wants to create humans. He creates man. He creates woman. The creation isn't complete until he makes both of them. And until he can share relationship with them and they can share relationship with one another. Creation is not perfected. Creation is not good. And that is God's intent in the creation. And this has to do with our worship. Everything we're talking about this month it has to do with the way we live our lives together and it has to do with our worship. Now ask yourself what is it about worship that's not intended to be intimate? Dave took us around the Lord's supper table this morning. He led our minds, led our hearts around that supper table. He said that we celebrate and we give thanks that Christ was willing to die for us. Does that not illustrate How serious God wants to know you. That he would give his life for you. Does that not illustrate how important it is to God. That we learn to be closer to other. And we grow in our relationship with one another. Because the whole point of the communion. Was to draw not only us closer to him. But to draw us closer to one another. Kevin made mention of the apostles. Those were the first ones that. That Christ shared that communion supper with and he wanted them to be one he wanted them to have that relationship with one another there's so much involved our singing our singing is not just about entertaining God it's about harmony it's not even about hitting the right note thank God that we can thank God we've got people who can but if you can't it's about joining in it's about having that relationship so that we are, are, are embodying our oneness. And when we sing together, we come to know one another better. I, also, I think we can also reverse that. It's, if, if, you, if it's not always easy for you to join in on songs, and I'm going to confess, it hasn't always been easy for me. But when I know people, when they're my friends, i can join in because i have relationship with them and i'm going to try to sing the songs that they sing because when we sing together we walk together we live together we eat the lord's supper together this as well as all those wonderful groups that kevin said we need to start some small groups we've got them started we need to keep them going we need to create relationships everywhere that we can because those can be an extension of worship why would we do that Why not just come and put in our hour on Sunday and be done with it and then be assured that God will not send us to hell because God intends much more than that. God intends for us to have a relationship with him and a relationship with one another. God is interested in knowing you and he's interested in you knowing him. He wants to be known by you. One scripture, two verses that I want you to see. That illustrates this first of all God knows us take a look at Galatians 4 6 it's on the screen here God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out Abba father and that phrase is from the Aramaic it is a close intimate address with God not the far off distant Remote, formal address of the Creator, but a close, intimate address of our Creator, of our Father. God wants to be known in worship. He wants us to know Him. So the question that that asks is, and you skip down a few verses to verse 9, do we know God? Paul writes to the Galatians, And he's concerned about the Galatians. He has an intimate relationship with them. And he's concerned that their formality and their rigid application of Scripture as law is causing them to lose relationship with God and lose relationship with one another. You skip on over to chapter 6 and he'll even say, if you keep on this way, you're going to bite and devour one another. The alternative, the antidote is that, that we can have that intimate knowing Not just knowing about God, but knowing God. And listen to what he says here in verse 9. He says, so now that you know God, and then he breaks in. Or perhaps I should say, now that God knows you. It's as if he's saying the fact of that relationship, the fact that God wants you to refer to him as Abba Father, the fact that Christ would die on the cross, the fact that God sends his spirit into our heart means that God knows you. He knows us. And that fact ought to change the way that we know one another. So if God knows us, why would we want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless principles of this world? This world is going to give us a lot of different options for making relationships. None of them, none of them compare to God's plan for knowing him and knowing one another. When we talk about being intimate and having intimate relationships, that we want to be a church where intimate relationships matter, we mean that we are all going to learn to know God and to know one another because that's what matters to God. You know, one of the best things that we bring God in worship is our love for one another. What God desires in worship And when we can give him the best singing, we can give him the best preaching. We can give him an hour a day. We can give him some devotional time. We can give him all those things. But when you read the prophets and when you read scripture, God will say, what I want is you. What I want is love. And he doesn't just want our individual love. He wants us to love one another. This is why Christ said that those are the two greatest commandments. The Apostle John understood that in 1 John 4, 7. And I want us to wrap up with this thought. He says, and here's, this, is a, this is a good challenge for us when we think about what it means to be intimate. Because I think it's something we grow into. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Intimacy has to do with knowing one another. has to do with close relationships. Which when you look at God, that's defined by love. Let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. If you wonder, do I know God? If you are asking yourself that question, ask yourself this question. Can you love others? Do you know love? Can you grow in your love? Because when we love, we know God. If God loves us and he chooses to have an intimate relationship with us, embodied in worship, embodied in life, then shouldn't we also then be compelled to have intimate, close relationships with one another? Because if it's what God, if we want to be like God, then we're going to seek that out. As we sing this next song, it's one of those things that singing does for us. It encourages us. It makes a statement to God. And it's also a statement that we share together. That when we say, Lord, reign in me, we're asking for his spirit to be that reigning spirit, that ruling spirit in our lives. And if that happened with each and every one of us, then don't you know that we would grow in our fellowship together. We're also going to give you the opportunity during this song, our shepherds who've been serving us this month, who've been leading our hearts and mind this month, they want to be available if anybody wants to pray with them. You don't need to worry about approaching them. They believe in these close relationships. They'll be in room 100 too. Let's stand, let's sing together, let us know God and love one another.